Welcome to Year Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Um, welcome to Earful of Dirt Podcast. I'm Aaron Casher. You can find me at the Shrobro. I am joined by Liam Poach. You can find him at Poach Rugby and Craig Gradelli uh, at Monday Morning Fly Half. And he has like three other accounts where he lurks. And far more than three. Far more than three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting sort of news day today. What was it? Um, so Cowan and Company was not chosen to finance the debt of uh, of World Rugby for the next World Cup. I, well, I saw, I'm, I'm sorry, I was that, but uh, there, you know, according to that news story, you know, it looked like Jeffries and Rothschild were hired as uh, strategic advisors for a potential. Yeah, I guess. Well, I, I threw some darts at the wall to ask some sources about it. It's like they were like, I don't know about private equity, but looking at ec- private equity to finance debt for like the world cup, because like world, especially in the United States world rugby is going to need to like throw out some cash to, to make, sh- to make it so that they can also make money. I mean, it would, they'll, they'll make the most money on a world cup ever by having one here. But uh, well, USA rugby, even in 10 years, ain't going to have the money to, underwrite uh a damn a damn world cup but i thought that was interesting but the idea of selling commercial rights for perpetuity or whatever as the an international federation is an automatic no for me um like it's one thing i think if you are the the home nations unions and or the six nations and you're selling commercial rights to a property that you own but where it's getting weird is new zealand rugby is looking at selling a portion of their commercial not really the rights themselves but a portion of the income from the commercial rights to an american private equity company which effectively they'd have those rights in perpetuity but those are the commercial rights of a of a national governing body uh, or sports federation, not um, you know, not uh, not a, a team per se. You know, Aaron, um, I'm looking up at my English degree right now as you list up all of these facts and whatnot about economics. <laughs> I just cannot say I'm keeping up. I, I did, like you know, like I, I read you know like most of the news stories that you're mentioning and have some sort of solid. Well, this is why we have Craig like. Craig, like I'm the like the legal, the sports law person, and Craig's the investment banker to tell us whether um, it, any of it makes sense. Um, sure, it makes sense. I mean, look, what, what is what is the value of anything today, right? It's just the present value of all of its future cash flows. If you want to sell some of your future cash flows today for their present value today, I mean, whether it's a national governing body or a corporation or a municipality. Uh, I mean, you know, municipalities sell revenue bonds for their sewer systems and, you know, their, their subway system. So, I mean, I, I don't see anything wrong with it other than this, the classic question of every time you sell some percentage of 
the rights to your main property, then you're giving up some level of control over that property. So I'm sure they're talking about a minority stake. It wouldn't be a controlling, they wouldn't be giving up control, but you know, if you're a 10% owner of New Zealand rugby, you have some say that you have a seat at the table. Well, commercial rights, not of the, the federation. Well, whatever, whatever it is you're selling 10% yeah. of in that, in that regards to that thing, you have some say. Uh, so, I mean, okay. I don't know, I don't know what, what exactly Scott wants me to shut about, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, no, it makes sense. It right. makes plenty of sense for um, like – I guess CVC to buy all these commercial rights or Silver Lake to buy the buy a portion of the commercial rights to the most valuable, uh, you know, rugby national team because that's like basically guaranteed revenue forever. And your job as a private equity firm is just to, you know, hit your percentage every year. So it makes plenty of sense to you. The question is, and I'm not going to call them a vulture. The question is whether it's a good enough deal for um, the, that national federation. And I mean, the money sounds good, especially if you reinvest it per se. Um, but it, it's like. I want to hire the investment banks to figure out if it's a good enough deal. Yeah. But since I didn't get hired on this one, I'm not going to give any free advice. <laughs> I would say like a lot of this is based on needing money now, right? So um, if you need the money now, uh, even though you are the most successful commercial union other than the RFU per se, um, then what are your cost basis? And well, I mean, the bigger issue is that super rugby teams can't fund themselves, like period. Um, there isn't enough game day revenue because, and this is, this is weird because like the ticket prices for the Auckland blues are about as high as they are for an NFL team, except that no one's going to Auckland blues games. Maybe like 5,000 people are buying tickets or 10,000 people are buying. I think it's like 10,000, but um, every venue has an opening cost and you have to fund those things. And so if, if Auckland had 50,000 people, every home game, you know, well, then the, 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 the franchise itself could fund all the contracts, but they don't. Um, that's Bill a problem, you know, and we're talking small dollars, like $7 million, like $10 million, New Zealand money is the, is the cash. So it, it's just interesting. Um, there was uh, some USA Rugby news. They, they sent out an open letter about, like, to, to put it bluntly, it's about, like, the reason why you're a member of a national federation to compete in sports and also, like, event sanctioning. And the reality is, is um, if, if you don't care about liability insurance and the people you're playing against don't care about liability insurance and you don't want a certified referee that has liability insurance, you can go play in the park across the street and play pickup rugby for all you want. Um, but it's just, I mean, you, if you want to play, you know, a, across town, you kind of have to be a uh, part of some type of federation, whether that is local or state based or, whatever you get the point but I, I thought it was a well-written communication to the community which you know at times as we all know heck we also beat usa rugby up about this stuff is they you often have a lack of communication and i thought at least this one was well written and had some good reasons behind it 
Well, with USA Rugby, there's a lack of communication, definitely, but there's also a lack of people asking pertinent questions in the Congress, wouldn't you say? Well, I'm not. There is no Congress anymore. Yeah, well, no, exactly. I'm not really worried about that. I'm just saying, people like. I I don't think people necessarily understand the point of a sports federation. They just think the USOC does things and we win medals and that's about it. Um, You know, you know, it it is what it is. But um, so I thought that was cool. If you're into reading, you know, about 15 pages, it was. That's an exaggeration. It was long. I would say if you printed that out, it was like four pages long. And single single space. The first half was just all about like USA Rugby's foundation in 1950 or something. I I kept reading. I'm like, are they still talking about 1950? Did I miss the part where they transitioned to (laughs) to USA Rugby? It's like a kid sitting on a book report. I understood understood the purpose, but it was very long. I almost did like a TLDR for Twitter. And then I was like, actually, there's nothing to say. Like TLDR, USA Rugby is still a thing. That's the whole story. Uh, yeah. TLDR, you still need to be a member of this, if this of this federation if you want to play the sport. Sorry. We suck, but, you know, that's the, that's the deal. Um, so moving. Uh, anything else interesting in rugby? I mean, there's the problem is, is like there's been so much news uh, that it, it takes away from just what's going on because we have we had six games last week and we had the, uh, one of the best week of MLR rugby. They were so far all, the all the games were good except one. And that was the first one. And I mean, Toronto did to Seattle what I thought LA was going to do to Seattle. So, you know, like, well, I thought I was going to do to Houston. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Um, that was, uh, you know, I was talking to some people and it's like, Belief is uh, is a real thing. Belief is a real thing. Um, oh yeah, um, the big guy is uh, in number one. Um, is he number one? Earful of dirt, super brew pool. Um, ahead of Scary Larry, apparently. Um, but you are not number one in the world, Scott. You are tenth. I checked. Um, so <laughs> so maybe you should um, step your game up. I still suck, but I. I had a really good week last week. Um, I am no longer um, in the bottom of our internal um, or in our in sort of internal cross pod relationship type super brew thing um, with uh, the American rugby pod and some guys we played fantasy rugby with. Heck, I mean, I think we have gone to with Warren Preston. I've gone to rugby world cup sevens with them Um and then there's another guy went to Rugby World Cup sevens with them. Um, Chris Golis, cool dude. Um, and then Larry, uh, scary Larry Rugby. Uh, Craig and I have uh, you know drank with him at um, in Chicago. All of this stuff happened pre-COVID, so uh, a different world it was back then. Um, so you know um, it was. So I'm no longer at the bottom, which is which is great. Uh, it's not like I, I will not um, I will not get to the top. It's like impossible. But as I said to Craig on the weekend, it's it's about respect because I am the former world champion um, on Super Brew. 
<laughs> from 2019. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to have a week. I mean, I feel like every where week. Where it makes sense. It's going to yeah. have a week where it makes sense. This is how you know, right? I mean, in, in Super Brew, obviously, it's not a scientific poll. Super Brew is just random people that could all be idiots. But, I mean, come on. When the average score in Super Brew is two out of six, something is weird. Something weird is going on. This well, the best week, part I mean, is, like, the best part is now – uh, I guess I'm going to name drop a bunch more Scott um, is that I produce, obviously um, if you listen to the show, I've probably said enough. I work for MLR and I produce um, MLR kickoff. And, you know, the best part about this now is you have like, um, you have a national former national team head coach um, p- picking publicly um, in with the masses in Pete Steinberg. I and mean, he's, barely beating me uh he's and it's just it's it's funny and and then um you have uh dan power uh who is just behind um scary larry rugby uh so i i think uh there's a bunch of stuff going on there man but uh i i guess fundamentals are kind of starting to to come to shape i mean statistically there, there's an interesting statistic that's going on, and I, I think we're going to do some analysis on that later. Um, um, and most teams that win are losing the territory battle. Like, other than if you – I mean, L.A. doesn't really make – don't really look at their stats because they're kind of weird um, because they're just so good. But most teams in MLR are losing the territory battle – um, when it comes to like on ground gaining. And I think most of that is because you've seen sort of an evolution in kicking, um, especially with guys like Carl Meyer and Dan Holland's head coming into the four uh, and Hagen Schulte, uh, man, like you're just seeing these guys that can kick for 500 meters a game and control the game with their foot that basically and then you pair that with a good kick chase because if you have if you don't have a good kick chase and the other team can exit the on the ground then you know it, it doesn't really matter but if you have a good kick chase that is what also allows you to control the game and then you can force the other team to create errors inside their own 22 and turn the ball over which i think is mostly what we're seeing I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you have a good kick chase. And if it goes into touch, you have a 35% chance of taking it back in the line out anyway. And and here's the thing about the kick chase though, is it's not just about having guys who are fast because plenty of teams have fast people who can run a four, four, two, three, like four meter dash. It's about being on the same page, you know, with your fly half, with your scrum half, who's, who's going to be doing those kicks and understanding the situations that they like to kick in. Whereas I, I feel like we've been seeing a lot of these scrum halves and fly halves sort of just say, you know, you know, hey, let's see what happens in terms of these kicks and sacrificing a lot of momentum for kick, case, for kick chases. That hey, that was, that was so watching the Eagles in like the early 2010s, man. I don't know where – come on. I don't think 2010, you didn't love, watching the Eagles freaking five months ago, dude. Like, you, didn't, <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't like watching Mike Petri um, with, you know, box kicks go straight in the air? Hey man, we I, we don't disrespect Mike Petrie on this show. Um, you know, in terms of respect for legacy, but I, I I mean I respect the guy, but I mean whenever I don't know what the calls were. All I know is 
Eagles in box, the Eagles in general and box kicking over the last, you know, decade was something I never wanted to see because they would give up possession, like, you know, inside the opponent's half, they would, they would box kick and the kick chase would be atrocious. And uh, yeah. Gio, well, you get straight up in the air. Yeah. Kick- <laughs> no, no, no. We have to get back on side. No, 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 it would go backwards. It would go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, USA rugby fans, we, they have very selective memories when it comes to their heroes. You know, like there's certain people on the USA sevens team who we'd like to talk about their speed a whole lot, but when it comes to their tackling ability, well, we suddenly hey, don't want to talk know, about you, that. Carl and I can tackle. <laughs> The, I didn't. Carl, your words, not mine. Carl Niles of today <laughs> is a relatively complete rugby player. The Carl Niles of, True. you know, twenty like twenty seventeen, he was still like a Ferrari. He didn't really he, but now he's more like, you know, that was more like a Rolls. Got some. Uh, that's a horrible like. Really, that's a horrible the metaphor. Really went downhill. But basically. <laughs> Carl and Isles doesn't miss tackles when he has, you know, some type of assist around him. Whereas previously, I want to say if he was on an island, um, he may or may not have attempted to make the tackle at all back in the day because he just didn't have the spatial awareness. And all one of those seasons, I want to say like 14 or something, he led this series in, in tries. So it's not like it mattered. Um, maybe the other guys need to do more work. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, moving on to this weekend, uh, we had uh, a heck of a lot of games go on. Um, did we? I thought did we? Hit, there was only five games, right? Well, no, there was three, four. There was six. There were six. Did, I, did I miss everyone, everyone in action? See, we had Seattle, Toronto, New England, NOLA, Utah, San Diego, LA. Oh, I'm looking at – what am I doing? Dude. I'm looking at, like, the wrong one. Uh, here we go. So um, – Take your tabs in order, Aaron. Yeah, what – exactly. Uh, podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle, Toronto. Um, talk about a team that, you know, I thought would have been okay uh, because they beat Utah. Uh, the week before, um, decently, but although I said last week that there was there, Utah has definitely lost. Like they lost two of their three losses. They didn't. The other team didn't win. Um, and this is it. Sort of shows you like you know, Seattle. I mean, they're missing some pieces. Big time. Uh, I think missing Duratalo, like a heavy carrier. Uh, you know, in their in their in their pack uh and you know if with the missing jp smith um kieran joyce isn't really a kicking fly half he's more of a center and his is kicking like like when he kicked the ball it went straight to a dude and they were able to exit toronto was able to exit pretty well um yeah. There's really not much to say about this. It was a complete dismantling, and it was kind of it. I mean, if Seattle's they, making some weird lineup choices, aren't they? I mean, but was Ben Sima at fullback and Matt Turner? Ben, at ben Sima has played fullback, so I'm not the best player is Matt Turner. I'm, at I'm not saying that the choice of that didn't make sense generally because he's of his history. 
at the position, but given the way Joyce played, I thought that Seema should have been playing 10. Um, and shooting all their attacking opportunities on counterattacks from fullback. Yeah. It was, I mean, the, their, their, best, their best sort of weapon in the back line in Seema, I thought, got wasted at, at fullback. Um, they fed him a lot of ball, which he kicked a lot, um, you know, when they had to exit. Oh, but just his, his ability to distribute was really diminished uh, playing fullback and. Uh, they just don't have enough playmakers. And by playmakers, you're talking about guys that can pass from left to right and that can also put the ball down uh, with their foot, either through an up and under or a grubber or even just, you know, a long clearance kick. And they don't have – they're losing – like, I don't know what made Brock Stoller go back to, like, retire, but maybe they should call him up because um, they, I think they need him. Um and but for that, we, that also, we get Phil Mack back him, him too. Him too. Mack. But I think that takes but like the problems with Seattle. I, I don't want to like discredit Toronto here because I thought they played a great game. Like they executed, they've had they've been up and down um this season. They sort of had some problems against Los Angeles, uh, especially you know. With Gaston Cortez, I thought it was a card machine. Guess not. Um, did all right in this one. But uh, they just, I mean, they bent Seattle to their will. The ball went in the right spot every time. Um, they've got they've got Lucas Rumball, who is, if you, I, we called it the Brakeley metric, but if you want to look at work rate, he is the, the leader in work rate across the league and it's not even close um ruck involvements whether it's attacking or defensive uh tackling uh breakdown steals it's not even like he's he has 13 breakdown steals which is not even like rowan house for atlanta has five he's the second so uh, i mean and then if you look at hit up efficiency i think toronto is finally settled um in atlanta and I think we're going to start to see them play very well. Um, or, you know, they could not. But I, I think they have the kickers in their back line to deal with what New York is going to have for them later on um, this week, which we'll talk about. But, um, yeah, so great win for Toronto, I thought. Like, I thought they played really well. In- I mean, they just physically, in every way, I feel like they just bullied. Yeah, I mean, like – I don't know they have stats on this type of thing, but how many times did they just rip the ball clean out of Seattle's ball carrier's hands? Like four times? I mean, it was like anywhere Seattle went, Toronto was just bullying them. And yet Toronto this year, when they get a little bit of breathing room, they get a try, you know, coverage, they just go to the races and then it's beautiful. They're they're making line breaks. They're having great support lines. Uh, yeah, they're, when they start getting a lead so far, you know, small sample size, they've really, they've really put teams to the sword once they get ahead. So I think, and especially but, I think with Mirez and Montero uh, really getting bedded in in that back line, um, they're, they've got weapons pretty much everywhere. Um, I think the only thing that takes away from Parfree is probably his size, but his skill set and his just his physical ability and desire to be a difference maker was probably the reason why he was the league player of the week. I mean, it, 
13 tackles, 16 ruck arrivals. He didn't really care. Um, like they asked him to be a playmaker, but he was a difference maker is what he was um, in that one. Um, I mean, so the, the way that I saw this game is c- kind of like, kind of like you guys were saying, Toronto, Toronto showed up and they were, ma- they were able to make a, um, you know, a lot of impressive stops. Um, Seattle does definitely have playmakers. They have guys who can, who can carry the ball, who can be effective with the ball in hand. But one of the, uh, one of the, one of the, you know, the, uh, the, the detrimental factors to Ben Seema being at fullback that we were talking about earlier is fullback's a very reactionary position. And it was that distribution element that Aaron was talking about that they were really missing with Ben Seema. Uh, because I felt like the Seattle offense was moving only in very small spurts. There wasn't, there wasn't a really consistent flow or like, you know, there wasn't enough consistency in terms of like how their attack moved against Toronto for them to really set up any kind of momentum. And I felt like, you know, until they really start to find that pace, like, you know, in that flow in the middle of the field, they're going to start seeing a whole lot more results like this because people know they just need to shut them down to the outside and force them to try to play this weird pick and go kind of game with their forwards that doesn't actually result in any, any kind of meaningful ball movement. Yeah. yeah. The result they did because they just have they're like I feel like they're they need an injection of toughness into I mean, you know what they need is Samuel Manoa to come and play. I mean, they need like a physical someone who's gonna go. Samu Manoa is signed and people are like, uh, you know, I think he's more of a mentor. I was like, no, no. When Sam was gonna play and he's going to put the team on his back. Um, which I thought, like, if you looked at the when he did play in 2019, it's basically what he did. He probably cussed those dudes out in the locker room and said, this is what we're going to do. And go, and make, go make a few big hits. The other team is a little afraid to, like, just come monsters. in your face and try to strip the ball every time. You put, put a little bit of fear in them. So moving on to uh, 29. Um, this is uh, this is kind of heartbreaker. Um, a lot of people, I know people are questioning some things, but if you look at the tape, Oh, like a certain try, if you look at like the tape, try that if we had TMO probably wouldn't have, if you look at the tape, the players didn't really go up to the ref and, or the AR and said, Hey, that wasn't a try and get into an argument. Yeah, dude, Cause it. they were like 50 feet away. They didn't see, but with people who have cameras, the ability to, know, down was, to close up, there was plenty uh, of cameras at that game. I don't know. Uh, I would need to see. Not the not the broadcast camera, but the the photographers for Nola Gold to see what they had because that might give us an idea of what um, was going down. But Liam, um, heartbreaking <laughs> loss away, uh, New England yeah. nine thirty Nola. So JPDP's try. Um, that's that's right, right? J J D D B. JDDB. Yeah, whatever. So. So I have the pleasure of recapping not one, but two of the best matches I think we saw this week. And as I said earlier, I think this is probably one of the best week of MLR competition that we've had this season. So initially, one has to kind of wonder what this game would have looked like had the conditions been more optimal and less of an orca tank at SeaWorld. And although maybe a SeaWorld orca tank isn't the proper comparison here, since all the violence and abuse on the, on the rugby pitch is consensual. But I digress. Uh, the weather... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I, I gotta, gotta throw that in. Animal rights, baby. But the weather made for some pretty compromising positions in this one, uh, particularly when it came to kicking, kicking and handling um, for the Free Jacks. Those issues seemed to really hit them the hottest when the momentum was kind of at their precipice, too. 
Uh, one thing I will say about the Jacks um, is that on a technical level, their phase play is becoming a lot more efficient and fluid. Uh, I feel like I was seeing a more productive and cleaner attack from them, which I also think is why we're getting used to seeing the great Dougie Fife hit pay dirt every week. Because uh, New England, uh, they've been able to uh, you know, use their attack to direct traffic around them, thus opening up more space on the outside where he's going to thrive. Uh, not to mention they're being more precise when it comes to their kicking game. However, on that note, I felt like John Poland, who I will say I think he is one of the best overall scrum halves in the league and in USA Rugby. Oh, well, you know, he's Irish, but whatever. You know, he, he's shown a propensity for displaying what I would call, and again, I love this dude too, Connor Murphy syndrome, though, in that <clears throat> he's so talented with the box kick that he tends to utilize it at times when most would have taken their chances in the passing game. <clears throat> Sorry, dude, I can't get clear my throat for hell. Um, but I felt like in this game in particular, he was attempting to use the fact that there wouldn't, due to the, the wetness of the, of the pitch, that there wouldn't be a whole lot of bounce in the balls, uh, like, you know, on their landing. So they could use that, you know, maybe to their advantage because there wouldn't be as much unpredictability in terms of, like, where they had to chase it. The only issue is, though, is that their average pursuit uh, speed was also hampered by the field conditions. So at times, he was essentially sacrificing the momentum that they had only to give knowable uh, get, only to give Nola a playable ball, granted, usually back in their own territory. So that was good, I guess. Did um, you see the, the, the highlight of the – I mean, it only counts as one, but the four knock-ons in a row from J.P. Duplicity. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, like, grabbing at the pitch. Like, hey, come back, please. <laughs> no, wait, yeah, Carl Meyer. It's with Carl Meyer. I was like, oh. Carl, Carl, uh, Oscar Meyer Wiener. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, as for Nola, um, I didn't see a whole lot of – pop in their game but there was there was plenty of sneaky good moments and productive phases that they kept right up with the free jacks through several lead changes uh and thanks to some help from a pair of crucial missed uh bodine waka kicks they were able to keep their heads above water pun intended for the win um jp duplicis he has proved to be a quick uh a great pickup for this team um you know he was ever present through both the you know the attacking and defensive phases few miscues here and there in the passing game, but it was wet, whatever. Um, yeah, like, like we said, his try there in the corner was a little questionable, but I guess that's why, you know, MLR's ultimate goal should be to get TMO at every freaking stadium. But let me pay homage to my boy from the Houston days, Mr. Pat O'Toole, with not one, not two, but three line breaks out of the lineup. Uh, when I say Nola had some sneaky good plays, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Pat doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd be wicked dangerous as a runner. Like, you know, especially like when you meet him, he just looks like a very plain Irish dude. Um, but he's wicked fast. He's very physical. And he began to prove that in Houston. And I think he's exclamating that during his time there in NOLA. So overall, great match. I think it was a good example of MLR's parity uh, between a lot of these squads and exemplify both these teams as being potential playoff contenders. Whether or not they're shield contenders remains to be seen. I think there's only two or three legitimate shield contenders in the league right now. But great, um, great match. I thought like the biggest difference for Nola was Damian Stevens at nine. Um, just uh, I think they're getting bedded in between him and uh, Timothy Guillemon. Um, uh, Timothy Guillemon, Guillemon isn't really a dynamic ten. But oh, there was some great pronunciation of Tim's he's last a, name. He's <laughs> a <laughs> commentary. But he's a game manager and that's all right. Um I think if you if you have thing if that's what you got, that's what you got and it's so it'll do the job. 
Um, does Harrison Boyle not kick? I don't think I've seen him kick once. Boy, Boyle a, had a dope kick, dude. Like, I'm talking. No, I'm talking I, about. I, I'm talking about sticks. Not um. Obviously, oh, sticks. yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, was, he he you know puts the ball in the air, but he tried some I, dimes I, in the, in that. I'm just wondering, regard. like, why isn't he kicking sticks? Or maybe you know they have a kicking competition every week. Because Bo and, is like really really good at kicking, dude. I mean, like like dude, it, it, dude, it was wet. I don't know what the, like any. He was given some that's really the first crap miss angles. he's had this season. You know, he man. he was given some crap angles to shoot from, and if it hadn't been wet, I guarantee you this probably would have been a win because there was two makeable kicks that the weather really just kind of screwed him on. Um, like, you know, no, Bo is awesome. Like, is, is awesome from All the right. team. Interesting. So. All right. So this one was another fun game and also separated by not many. Uh, Utah 29, uh, San Diego 31. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you could rewind to last week's podcast or maybe both of the last two weeks and, hear what we said about Utah and just paste it right into this. I mean, they are playing uh, good rugby, but they're just really failing to execute at critical moments. I mean, you watch these, these contests and it's a story of Utah makes some plays, has line breaks, you know, looks good. does a couple offloads, 10 meters out, knock on, right? I mean, the first San Diego try in this, you know, was a Utah drive. It was Utah attack had gone deep into San Diego territory they knocked it on, ball went free. Cecil Africa picked it up, you know, broke a few tackles, and then you know, a couple offloads later was a San Diego try. Um, well, it's really the story for these guys, and they, they started strong with two wins. And, and you know, it, yeah, I don't know if anyone else here is just too, uh, too young to remember this guy but me, but there was a baseball player named Chuck Knobloch uh, from my childhood on the Yankees second baseman who uh, had got this crazy problem. Boo Yankees. <laughs> he couldn't throw to first anymore. Like he can throw anywhere else in the field. Uh, difficult plays, diving plays. He could throw to first routine grounder. Second would go into the stands. Uh, <laughs> it was like, like basically ended his career. And we used to call it uh, the yips. We would say that Nablock has the uh, yips. Yes, the yips. The yips. That's like what Utah has. They, every time they get into a dangerous position, Obviously, not every time, literally, but you know, a, a far too high percentage of time, they get into a dangerous attacking position. They make some dumb or very careless or you know, like easy handling error, and they turn it over. You know, San Diego, I don't think played you know exceptionally better than they've been playing in prior weeks, and I think Utah looks ha- has looked like and still looks like the better team. I mean, uh, Nate Osbury, you know, played okay. I thought. Um, you know they're gonna they're gonna do well when they get Patty Ryan back. So I think they also need some physicality up front on San Diego side. But you know they they did enough to capitalize on these mistakes, and Utah essentially let I mean San Diego walk away with it. Yeah, I think the one of the problems for for Utah was they were missing um, at the breakdown. They just weren't. Um, Contesting for shit. I well, mean, well, it wasn't that it wasn't they were contesting for some shit. I I thought that uh, you know Basket's coming back from injury, but I thought Basket was slow um, to the ruck, slow to get the ball out in his service. His pass, his pass used to be really crisp, and now it floats like I mean, I love old and younger to death, but now it floats like like his pass, um, mm-hmm. which is which is a problem, um, and. I think that um, 
you know, Fraser Hurst has a better pass right now. And maybe that's uh, going to be the difference. Obviously, Fraser Hurst is, you know, rookie, but. Yeah. I actually, I thought Baskin played well, actually. I mean, he, he, he's a little he's slower. Not, he's not the reason why they lost. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean they're, 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 they're not, still, I'm not going to, I don't know if this is a fitness thing, but they still do not run with support well. There's just, there's just a huge like, yeah. lack of intensity to the way that Utah flows, both both offensively and defensively. You know, they, they get these, these I don't want to say random line breaks because they're the result of, of, of a good, uh, you know, offensive setup and, you know, and, and system and stuff like that. But at the same time, I feel like they're they're missing out on opportunities because they don't have that edge. And then they're not. Well, the problem a, with a, a their line the breaks. The problem with their line breaks is like most teams have like one or two solo line breaks a week, a game. Well, I want to say every single line break that Utah has is basically solo, and the squad is like fifty meters behind the guy when the guy gets tackled, and then and they that, have and no that, that's the lack of and then there. you know it's it's you're losing the ball at you know to a jackal, but yeah, a, a um, lack of support is exactly why my 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 D three team went well probably won like three matches over the course of two years is because people's fat asses couldn't get off the fifty meter mark. So uh, <laughs> Los Angeles forty eight, Houston thirty three. Yeah, but yeah, and. But yeah. by the way, uh, freaking they, they had Houston at 35 points at the end of the broadcast. It wasn't until I saw your rundown that I was like, oh, wait a second. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Houston will be down to zero again. We're slowly taking him away. <laughs> Legit. So, okay. So if anyone out there tries to tell me that they envisioned Houston being up over the Guiltinis. Nope. Uh, no. Nope. Did not. No, I had no. I, I no. had no. No inkling. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. I would bet my left, you know what, that you're a liar. Exactly. And so Aaron's perfectly truthful. So I rewatched this game earlier today, uh, you know, like I kind of just, you know, intimated. Um, and despite the fact that I had already knew the final result, there was a part of my brain that thought the cats might still pull it out. Like that I might just enter into some sort of alternate Dr. Huey universe. Um, anyway, I came away from this game with the thought, with the hope, that maybe, maybe the LA security code has begun to be cracked, which is to frustrate them and slow them down to the breakdown and to force them to overplay on their defensive shifts, which Houston, for the most part, was able to get done. However, getting that LA defense to overplay anything is easier said than done, mainly because of the seemingly insane amount of stamina that these guys apparently have. In Houston, they tried. They tried to keep up the pace in their attack. But towards the end of each half, the first and the second, the gas would just start to run out. And that's when the mistakes and the turnovers began to get made, which put which would put LA in another position to put up points. And it's the same story week in and week out for the LA G. And then LA, well, despite the fact that Houston found a way to frustrate them, doesn't mean the door to the bar was completely breached. LA's line speed and explosiveness, like we, it's been talked about at length on every league podcast and blog, but what has been their real legend killer has been their improv in tight windows, I've thought. Uh, you know, which when utilized in the red zone inside the 22s, it's damn near impossible to, to defend against for most defenses due mainly to that sheer level of precision that they got on it. Um, we saw that on display for, um, how do you pronounce his last name? Dan Holtz, try. Who? Dan. Oh, Dan Holtz? Dan Hope. Yeah, yeah, did, did just making sure I don't want to I don't want to butcher his name like I do so many other Fijians and stuff like in Samoans. 
Um, so yeah, we we saw that on his on that 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 on his first half try. Um, you know, going from here, I don't have any doubts that someone will get a victory over LA. Uh, we thought we saw the same level of dominance in year one with Glendale, and they're not even a team anymore. So, you know, narratives change. Uh, oh, I mean, we're not first year either. Yeah. Oh, and just to remind everybody, COVID is exclusively what took down the Merlins too. Either way, great show from Houston. I'm not ready to call them a playoff contender yet. Definitely not a shield contender, but they're not likely to be an easy match from here on out for anybody this season. Clearly, they can score points. So they, they can score points, just apparently not they can also clearly score no points. I mean, <laughs> hey, I, hey, you know what? Tell you, Boyer, he's the guy. He's, mm-hmm. he's the guy. Um, the the biggest red zone threat at a quarterback like position since Cam Newton. Well, <laughs> n- well, not this past season, Cam Newton as a Patriots fan. I can freaking tell you. So, so move it, move it on to Atlanta, fifteen, Austin, seventeen. Uh, I mean, gosh, both of these teams like have great defense. Uh one of the things that I thought, I, I thought this game was over, and then. Uh, Connor Mooneyham gets the ball, the number and, one pick, baby, and decides he's going to run it back instead of kicking out or feeding to uh, Will McGee to do an exit kick, and he just starts gunning it. And then this is a great thing about some rugby is that he put the ball down up and under. That up and under went freaking thirty five meters or something like that, and uh, you know. Somebody, I, I think it was Bautista Escura, uh, just mistimed it and then fell over, like right in front of Mooneyham. The ball landed like three meters behind Escura, and Mooneyham collected it and went in for a try. Uh, that that thing was it was it was delicious. If you were an Ag, uh, Ag Austin Gilgronies fan, uh, that was that was awesome. And then they're in Gilgronies fans are thankful that that's not being done in a Jackals uniform at the but moment. Basically, yeah, it's uh, the two very. It was a grudge match. I, a lot of defense was played. Uh, it's really I, I sort of Bautista's Kura is basically having to play hero ball. Um, I, I don't think he has sort of that connection with Rowan House yet. Um, they aren't getting lineup consistency overall. Um, I don't know why Marco Keith isn't on New York because that dude is a monster. Five line breaks, 10 tackle breaks, 154 meters. Like, wow. Um, just give him the ball. And Maybe he likes like Waffle House better than uh, Nathan's hot dogs. <laughs> Maybe he likes Waffle House better than Nathan's hot dogs. But, I mean, every time he touched the ball, like he he did something. Like wow, uh, obviously also scored a try, but um, he's just been having some some really good weeks in a in an Atlanta uniform. I didn't think that the the um. The Atlanta forwards played well. Uh, I didn't get the, you know, like the the traditional Momsen, Redling Heist type game um, that I want to see, which is like, you know, probably um, eight to nine carries, about 50 meters a piece. 
Um, tons of rock arrivals and physical and dominant tackles. Uh, they're missing Matt Heaton. Um, he was out injured. But I think, like, the loss of Matt Heaton is the game he had previously the week before was – was I, I was pretty much ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous. Um, but for Austin, they're still, they sort of don't have an attack. Um, they can move the ball around, but they're getting stuck after like four phase um, and making mistakes. They're doing enough uh, to win games. They're on a three game winning streak, obviously. But if, they do that if they play this Houston team again, they're going to have problems, and I think they could have, you know, even problems this weekend uh, against Seattle. Um, maybe, uh, maybe I'm over. Maybe I'm thinking that one a bit too much because I actually think Seattle's not good. Um, but what? If, <laughs> if uh, but if if we've already seen that Seattle can score points if they're if if they're in sync. So I don't know if they'll be in sync because they've been going like this. You know, they has a hundred points on the year and Seattle has 77. So. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Thank you. That, that, that is important because, Oh, well, Seattle has negative point differentials. So there's that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they're still it, the defending kick. I think Cowley and Matt Mason are starting to get in sync as a halfback pairing. And then I think Will McGee has settled into fullback very well. And then they've got, uh, you know, although Rod doesn't have the tools as uh, Mooneyham has, what he does have is grit and he has speed and he has vision, which is, you know, that's why he's still on the pitch and that's why he's a positive difference maker. So I think they've got the pieces where Austin has really been unlucky. Um, I don't think they have any locks right now. Um, I think all they've got are like uh, our back rows playing lock because Isaac, so they, they lost like Christian Osberg. They lost um, to Chavez and I think, Dodson came back and played off the bench this week, but I think he got injured. I don't know. But Isaac Ross played very well, gets injured. Um, immediately. Like they're having bad luck with locks. Um, if they can get their attack down uh, and their defensive tempo stays this good, uh, well. I think, I think they've benefited from Kurt Morath being in there too. He seems oh, like I think Kurt Morath at 12 is, is very helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I like, it. I like what they're doing down there in Austin. I'm feeling well, good. I, I, I think they're a good team. They just need to get their attack down, um, because if it's the number one defense in the league, and it's not by, um, it, it's not by mistake. Like they are that good, but they just need to get their tempo and their chemistry right, and their like how they play at the breakdown a lot better. Um, so final game of last week, DC 34, 38, New York. Correct. That's right. Uh, you know, big, big contest, East coast rivalry, uh, old glory. DC has been having a, yeah, their record doesn't really reflect it, but they've been having a pretty good year. They, they drew with Nola. Um, and they're they, second uh, to last on the table, bro. Yeah. Well, they need, they need a, they're, but unlike Seattle, I believe in old glory. They had a tough schedule. They beat Atlanta. They drew with uh, Nola. 
Um, and, you know, they lost to a research in Toronto, and, and now they lost this one. But when they lost to Toronto, they didn't have Jason Robertson. Uh, so this was really their first full-strength loss uh, of, the te- of the year. Uh, and, you know, I thought it was a pretty sound contest all around. I mean, I thought both sides played well. Um, Dan Hollinshead, I think, especially since the bye, has really been uh, a knight in shining armor for New York. I mean, he, his manager of the game has completely changed. I mean, it was it was so uh, all over the place in Nolan, even a little bit in San Diego in week one. Since then, the game, I think, has been much more controlled, very tactical. Um, and I, I think he's, he's really been a difference maker that I, I think has brought New York up to a, a higher level and they're, they're playing very well right now. I thought, uh, Troy Lockyer came in for Foden, who was also playing pretty well. I'd probably, I, I thought last week was Foden's maybe best MLR game of his career. Um, and Troy Lockyer came in, I was a little nervous. Um, they didn't really, you know, Ogler didn't really attack Troy Lockyer aerially. You know, I, I don't recall him having to take any kicks out of the air, or at least not contested kicks. Um, he's a runner. He played center last year and he was allowed to insert into the line. And I, I felt between Holland's head and Lockyer, you know, they were adding some, some good attacking options. And ultimately it was a pretty back and forth contest. Uh, I also thought Kara Pryor for New York played a great game. Uh, Old Glory has some really strong flankers. Uh, and really their whole back row in Old Glory is very strong. Uh, Mungo Mason, I thought, was was really creating plays. Uh, Callum Gibbons doesn't get a lot of love. I don't Gibbons care. is playing very well. I yeah, I don't feel but you should expect lot. that, right? Like, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's been playing like a monster. He's, his he's resume dictates that you should he should play like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I thought both teams played pretty well here, and I, I think that's why you know, I thought it was a, a real solid win for New York. I, I think Old Glory is gonna still compete this year uh, when they have Robertson and Tusitala. I just think they're a very dangerous team and that, and that back row. Uh, so, you know, good win for New York. Uh, pretty good loss for Old Glory too. They got the losing bonus point. And I think uh, I see bright things for both these teams where they're playing. I thought I did not. Cause I mean, everything I know, well, not everything I know, but I, I did not. I thought the film was going to affect Robertson pretty poor, bad, but I mean, his passing was good and he is, I mean, if he was five ten, he'd be starting on a super rugby team right now. Like I'm well, maybe not starting, but he'd be contracted to a super rugby team, but he's five, six. Um, and he's very good. Like I, I put a tweet out from the show account. Hey, uh, anyone want to chain uh, Dan Holland's head and, and Jason Robertson um, down to their beds so that they can't like get on a plane and go to New Zealand and play minor 10 over the summer, you know, because I mean, there are some tens like in college right now, but if you just look at, like we've got AJ, we've got Will and we've got Will Hooley, but basically all of those guys are over 25. I mean, AJ's like 32, uh, Will McGee's 29 and, I want to say Hooley's is about to be he's 26 or 27. And I know Ty Leader was sort of, you know, in and around the squad, but he's gone now as far as I as far as far I can tell. He's not playing rugby. Um, that is for sure. He's trying to kick in college, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I thought Jason, 
you know, Jason Robertson had a really good game. Obviously, he missed some kicks, and that was a problem. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, like Dan Hollins had difficult kicks that he made. So I'm not going to say, hey, oh, but if the if Jason Robertson had made kicks, then things would have been better. I'm like, the reality is, is that he, um, Dan Hollins had had just as bad just as bad angles to kick, and he made them. So. Well-earned uh, victory for New York. Um, I don't think Old Glory is as bad as their record, um, but they 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 need to get right um, this week. Um, but so moving on into the preview, uh, we've got Nola at Rugby ATL. Craig, what do you got? Uh, I love I, I love. Conference rivalries, I especially love regional rivalries. I think NOLA ATL is going to be a classic uh, rivalry in MLR. So, you know, both teams, uh, I feel like have a lot of, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, I am sure this up before, I'm pretty sure Atlanta beat NOLA last year, right? So uh, I think there's probably even a little bit of bad blood revenge boiling in here. I mean, no uh, one likes Atlanta, Atlanta, right? What's that? No one likes Atlanta. No one. <laughs> Except our, except Mark O'Keefe, uh, but uh, so I, you know, I think this is certainly one that you could see go either way. Uh, both these teams right now in the table are are in the middle, uh, so you know a, a conference win would be huge for their season. A conference loss, obviously, uh, uh, an anchor, you know, holding them down towards the bottom. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be exciting. One, this will be a fun one to watch. Uh, I am going to, however, say uh, that I think you know, Damien Stevens and Nola, I think, uh, is going to bring them up and one more notch and put them a little bit ahead of Atlanta right now, and I'm going to say Nola by three. I This is a selection thing because the reason why I chose Nola last week was especially when like on Super Brew was because of Damian Stevens. So if Damian Stevens starts, uh, I'm not saying losing is a habit. I'll get to that. Um, I'll get to losing as a habit in a in a later one. Um, but I, I think Nola has the firepower. I think he'll get bedded in with Guillemot. I think the rest of their squad is, is solid, and and they can control territory a lot better with. Uh, Meyer than the, with what Atlanta has been doing. So I, I, I like your scoreline, but I think it's going to be a little bit more narrow. Probably Nola the edge by two. It's difficult. So the, the way I look at it is both these teams have a particular bullet in the foot um, th- through most games. Uh, with Atlanta, it's handling. Uh, with Nola, it's discipline. And I trust Nola's ability to stay disciplined just enough to remain, you know, to remain effective and to take advantage of Atlanta's mistakes. So I'm going to go ahead uh, and say Nola by six. All right. All right. Oh, um, also, so uh, Nicholas, um, in terms of my Amish facial hair being gone, I now live in Northern California and it's starting to get hot. Uh, one person who's not happy about it is my girlfriend because she had never seen me before without any kind of facial hair. Because and she's Amish. <laughs> my, my girlfriend is Welsh, thank you very much. Uh, and, and anyway, I FaceTimed her yesterday, and she was like, Jesus Christ, you look gaunt, which is exactly what <laughs> you want to hear from your girlfriend. Um, um, so, 
that's that's an interesting one. My girlfriend likes my hair cut, so there you go. She, um, she she doesn't like the homeless look, but she she likes something that she can pet as we watch Doctor Who. You know. It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've got San Diego traveling to Los Angeles. Uh, it's Los Angeles, right? Uh, generally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And but Los Angeles. Uh, one of the things I I thought uh, Santiago Iglesias played very well at ten. Um, I thought uh, with Denishin, uh it, it was a good combination. Although uh, I thought they they got some oomph when Augsburger came on and he looked in form for I mean for not having played a lot of rugby the last two years um, because he was injured in the first game. Uh, of last season. So, but he looked, even though he got injured early this year, um, um, it was, uh, it was just different. Uh, and it was enough for them. Um, it, whereas for LA, you gotta, you gotta survive the 20 minutes. If you don't sur- survive the 20 minutes, um, you're screwed, but it's which 20 minutes you have to survive. Is it the first 20 minutes? Is it the first 20 minutes of the second half? Is it the last 20 minutes? And in the case of Houston, they survived the first 60 minutes of that game and answered them score for score, basically. Um, and but at the end, but they're just so fast. Their attack is so crisp and they're good at the rock that um, you have to play better. Like, you just you just have to play better. I, it's that simple. Work. Just play better. Yeah, you know, I, I'm still picking uh, L.A. by 10. Um, and maybe when I see the team sheet, L.A. by 14. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, look, yeah, I think everyone is, is – now game planning for how to beat LA. Maybe someone's going to crack the code, but hard to imagine, you know, San Diego who's conceded 151 mm-hmm. points, the third most in the league is going to be the ones that figure it out. Um, they're also, you know, neither LA nor San Diego are great scrummage teams, but um, I, I could see one weakness of LA being potentially the scrum, but if any team is not going to be able to capitalize on that, it's San Diego who's, I think only winning, let's see here, uh, only 86% of their scrums. So basically on par with uh, on par with LA. I, I just think not only is LA playing really well and San Diego not playing great, they're just also not a good matchup for the way San Diego is playing. Uh, so I think this is going to be a big one. I'm, I'm going to say LA by 22. Taking the biggins. Wow. Taking so, the biggins. So the one time that I've picked San Diego to win this season, they actually did win. That will not be happening this week. I'm going to go LA, uh, <laughs> minus, <laughs> LA minus 16. Uh, Scott, I, I just did a quick Google search. There is no donkeys within like 150, 200 miles of me right now. So hmm. I'm feeling a little... Feeling Let me a little, get to that question, uh, Nicholas. The, the short answer is no. Well, we'll get to that later. Um, yeah. Just re- just remind us to scroll up. Um, so, Houston, Houston versus. Oh wait, yeah, you picked your, you made your pick, right? Yeah. What was the it's Houston at Utah? 
Yeah, I did. I, I, I said LA minus 16. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got so, <laughs> so, all right. Um, can you guys hear me right now? You guys were buffering a little bit on my. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good, good right now, but like yeah. uh, for like three seconds, there was a lag. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. Get so, all good. So, anyway, the Warriors start the season out 2 0, and everybody is ready to anoint them the Cinderella team of 2021. Three weeks later, these guys are looking to prevent a four-game slide that could leave them out of the frickin' playoff contention before the season is even <laughs> half over. Still, this team has put up some impressive numbers so far this season, and they had a, a realistic chance to win just about every game they've dropped this season. So, as simple as it sounds to say, this team's final record is really just going to come down to consistency. Uh, some of those numbers I speak of, um, they include averaging over 700 carrying meters a game, an average point total north of 25, an average possession and territory rate north of 50%. Uh, meanwhile, they're only letting up about 25 points a game, which isn't terrible by league averages at the moment. Uh, but at the end of the day, as some football coach would say, you are what your record says you are. Um, as I talked about earlier, uh, Houston really took it to L.A. this past week, perhaps more than any other team has so, has so far. Uh, but the inevitable must have made it a tough pill to swallow for the Sabercats. So... I expect this team to come out with a, re, you know, kind of a renewed sense of vigor against a Utah team that won't have nearly the same level of pace that LA was able to put out. Uh, when it comes to the numbers, Houston's still hurting in terms of average points scored thanks to those two goose eggs in weeks two and three. So they're sitting at about 19 points per week there. Their average, um, the, their average um, points allowed, meanwhile, is at 32.4. So an average differential of 13 points at the moment, uh, by far the highest in the league. Uh, but again, those two shutouts are hopefully in the past, so those figures could definitely change in the near future. Hopefully. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, I, I still have a lot of friends who, who work for that organization. Shout out to Trey Preston. Um, and I think an X factor um, in those chances of them improving is going to be Boyer at scrum half the Sabercats, who I believe is like the best quarter, like I said before, he's like the best quarterback point guard red zone threat since Cam Newton's 2015-16 season. Um, as a Pat, and again, as a Pats fan, you know, certainly not the Cam from this past season. But the guy plays a great quick ball for someone his size. What is he, like 6'2", Aaron? Uh, he's like 6'2 and a half, 220. I mean, he's he's all six two and a half, Liam. Let's get it straight. Six two and a half. Yeah. So he's he's got uh he's got he's he's got some he's got the skills of he's got the skills of a six and the skills of of a nine all in one package. Can even play some ten? I mean, so what you're saying is he's a little he's he's a little. He's a little bigger than Tori Alba, yeah. All right, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but but so anyway, but 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 Boyer, he, he I, so for somebody his size, he plays a great quick ball. Um, you know, at, at the ninth spot, and when the Houston attack gets rolling at a good pace, that opens up in turn for him to attack the A gap inside the twenty-two, which he, we've seen him be wicked effective with. So that's great. Uh, Utah, they've got some great pieces, um, you know, themselves, like, you know, Mungo Mason, Teow, the Whippies, Vandenberg. Um, they all have that same versatility and balance between fit, being physical defensemen and effective ball carriers. Uh, however, I think as long as the rest of Houston's health remains in order, I see you, Zach, Zach Pangelinen. I hope, you know, I wish you well on your recovery. 
this squad is just getting started in terms of how good they can be. So Utah got to see more consistency. I'm going H Town uh, minus four here. Um, I think I'm gonna believe in Hog and Schulte uh, on this one. Uh, I I desperately want Houston to be good, but I, I'm still sticking with what I said last week in that I believe in um, this this team that Sean Pittman has, has coached. Um, and Houston has to go to altitude uh, to, to play the Warriors. We're going to see um, – and we're going to – they're going to be – but like I said, I was going to get to losing as a habit. We're not there yet on losing as a habit. What we're seeing is basically Utah right now, except the difference between Utah and Austin is their score. They, they can sco- score some points, but Utah has that uh, that first these three games they've lost. Like remember, it was like Austin lost their first two games by five points combined. Utah's lost these three games by eight points combined. So. I think it'll be a close one. Um, I'll take your point score differential and go uh, Utah minus four. Hmm. All right. See, I had I had thought I had a unique take here, but we're split, so I guess it's not going to be that unique. Um, look, I think uh, I think we said all that needs to be said, but to me, Utah has the yips right now, and the Boyer Cats are feeling pretty good, so. I'm actually, I think uh, right now I'm just liking the trends. I'm going to take Houston as a momentum pick. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Houston by seven. Okay. All right. All right. All right. And uh, Um, whether or not, whether or not Utah can finish a match, Scott uh, comes down to that consistency aspect that I talked about. um, And the yips aspect that Craig, Craig has mentioned. It's it's going to come down to seeing their game plan plan through and not just trying to, you know, win on reactionary rugby because their stamina is not going to allow them to do that. Um, Toronto at New York. Great. Uh, tough one to pick. Uh, obviously, Toronto is playing great of late. Uh, it's really, really dangerous when they make a line break. Um, New York also playing great of late. Uh, yeah, I think uh, other than L.A., these, those two teams may be playing the best – rugby right now. Uh, I mean, Austin playing the best defense, I I think probably balanced, you know, rugby, maybe New York and Toronto. Um, It is a home game for New York. Um, Man, this is a tough one for me. Um, You know, I, I, I guess ultimately I think Holland's head has uh, the advantage in the, in the tactical territory game. And I think Toronto has been de- very deadly in open space when they, you know, broken play sort of rugby. They haven't been as deadly for me when it's just phase play, you know, creating those type of opportunities. Um, so I, I uh, I'm going to take New York to edge it out. Uh, I'm going to say New York by three. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, uh, yeah, go ahead. Aaron, no, I, I'm trying to think. I'm going Toronto minus 10. Honestly, I think, I, I, I got to go the opposite way. I think Toronto's on the come up. Um, and out, out, outside of a few playmakers, I haven't seen the that pop 
level from New York uh, thus far this season. And I, I think Toronto has that physical edge to them that where they can actually grind out in the final 20 minutes of the game. So, so New York has had the easiest schedule, basically, effectively. They have a negative point differential. They're on a th- with their three-game winning streak, so um, they can't. In their his in their recent history, they can be beaten like a drum. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I I think that Toronto like beat the drum, like beat the brakes off two teams. Obviously, their record isn't as good as New York's, but I think they're finally settling in um, with the fact that. They their life is getting better uh, in in Atlanta. It's not the greatest, but they're, they're ready to go. And now they're coming to New Jersey, though. They're coming, in, they're coming to New Jersey to play on some really hard turf, frozen turf still. Because I heard you guys got snow over there somewhere. Maybe not. Right Actually, no, <laughs> Buffalo love the snow. Buffalo goes to get snow this weekend, and I'm gonna cry. <laughs> it, it, it was 70 Sorry. degrees today, man. I'll, I'll go with uh, Toronto by five. I think this is going to be a great game, but uh, I think Toronto's got the edge. Um, Why are all these games on at like, the same time? Like, That's why we need a red zone for MLR. Come on, uh, Rugby Network. New England Rugby at D.C. Justice and red zone. <laughs> New England at D.C., Liam. New England at D.C. So... Right now, uh, both both these teams, um, New England two and two, DC one two and one. New England eleven uh, table points, DC eight total points. So here's how the numbers stack up between these two squads. When it comes to total points game, they're basically neck and neck with New England averaging twenty seven point five, DC twenty seven point two. No biggie. Same with penalties. New England edging out DC by about point seven in terms of average penalties um, per game in that category. So neither of these teams are putting up huge numbers on the scoreboard by matches end, and unfortunately, most of their losses have come about as a result of them handing their opponents opportunity. Uh, DC beats out New England by a mildly significant margin in both territory and, pre- and possession, carrying an average mark of 50.7 and 53.2% respectively, compared to New England's average marks in those areas of 41.5 and 45.2 respectively. So we know on average that DC can probably apply more pressure on the attack uh, when it comes to um, you know moving the ball. However, in just about every game this season, New England has trailed in those statistical categories, and yet they're able to sit at uh, 500 thanks to an excellent red zone defense that has frustrated everybody from the LA team in Week One to the goals this past Saturday or was it Sunday, whatever. So don't discount that aforementioned pressure that DC can cook up in all phases of the game, though. They, they have some really talented scrum pieces that are looking better week by week, including two of my former Houston guys in Jamie Deaver and uh, Jameson Fa'ana Anna Schultz, who, uh, J- uh, Jameson, he has shown that he can be a sneaky effective ball carrier out of the scrum if the opposing flankers are caught sleeping. Uh, then they've got explosive pieces in the back line as well, like Jason Robertson, uh, who can challenge teams in tight windows on the attack. And in the kicking game as well. So I think New England's success is going to de- will depend partly on how they defend against that kick uh, and how well Bodine plays uh, his part in that territory battle. 
Uh, and of course, one more H-Town warrior of 2018, Threatened Palamo, uh, who for most listeners, he really needs no in- introduction or description regarding his speed and tenacity, physicality, uh, with the ball in his hand. So that's he's always going to be a factor there. Um, and as always, New England has the has the backline duo of their own, Mitch Wilson and Dougie Fife. Uh, they have that quick score capability. They built up some really good chemistry, especially in the red zone. Um, and so they, they, they make New England rugby really, really entertaining to watch. Uh, not picking against the Jacks in this one, who are looking like more of a contender than anyone actually gave them credit before, uh, before the season, Aaron. So I'm going to go uh, New England minus eight. I didn't think they were going to be a contender, but I didn't think they were going to suck either. So, um, you know, I think this is a trap game for New England. Um, this is where that they need to they need to win. Um, can't have a close loss. Uh, but I think that uh, Old Glory has all the pieces, especially with a warm up game for Jason Robertson against New York that with him and Tusatala back together and their pack being relatively healthy, that it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be problematic for a team that um, is still missing uh, Joe Johnston. Um, Cause this will be his second game out. Um, so, I think if they had Joe Johnston, I would probably just lean straight into New England. But, you know, you just you, – you got to – I got to take the home side here um, and, and just go with old glory because I don't think they're they're bad. I think they're pretty good. And I think the East is – someone wrote somewhere, I think it was uh, on Reddit, the East is the cannibal division, I think the East is going to be teams that just eat itself. And then where is, where is the Western division is like Jabba's palace and LA is Jabba. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. So I, I'll go old glory, probably five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's another good one. I, I, I think at old glory and new England are actually surprisingly similar in the way that they play on the team level. I think they're hard nosed, you know, big defensive play types. Uh, and you kind of look at the stats, and in a, in a way, it bears out. I mean, listen to a couple of these here. Points for uh, New England, 110. O'Glory, 109. Uh, tries, uh, New England, 14. O'Glory, 13. Uh, let's see. I, this is why I like turnovers won. They both won 28 turnovers. So, you know, I, I think they're – more similar than maybe people give, you know, acknowledge to me, the difference here is going to be, you know, half of those old glory games didn't have Jason Robertson, who's a big uh, key for them. Uh, So I think, you know, their, their stats are probably skewed a little worse than they really uh, are at a run rate old glory level. Um, So I'm going to say old glory by four. Um, Y'all be lacking the faith. (laughs) So this is where losing becomes a habit. Seattle at Austin. Uh, we just it's saw what losing becomes a habit. Bowl, we can call it both. both. <laughs> um, obviously, they had to get up early. It was four thirty their time when they probably got up. Um, they came in late, but they're professionals. 
Um, not really work. I'm not gonna, I know that people like blame sort of, uh, the circumstances when they went to Toronto and lost, uh, in 2019. Um, generally guys were, were professional, professional players and you're expected to, to be able to perform in adverse conditions. It's just the, the way of it. Um, but, uh, they just, they looked lifeless. And I think if they get the selection wrong again, um, they're just they're they're not going to have the weapons to. It. And part of the problem is they're hurt. They don't have Tucker right now. He's injured. Uh, I think not having Tucker is a definite problem because he's sort of a heartbeat kind of guy for them. They also Duratalo's done for the year, so they've they're they're they've. They're missing some leadership, and they're missing missing some physicality and dynamism because of that. It, whereas, even though they've gotten injuries and can't seem to keep locks healthy, I, we mentioned earlier belief is a powerful thing, and this is why I don't think I think Houston's going to end up doing okay this year. I just don't think it's this week. Um, a, but belief is a powerful thing with the Gilgronies. This is a team with. That two years ago, lost every single game, every single game. A huge um, accident. The losing is a habit. Ball, see. And so losing is a habit, and where winning is also a habit. Um, they have won games in tight windows, and it's been built on their defense, which used to be something that uh, Seattle had, and Seattle doesn't have that. It's gone. Like the seawall, it, it sank with the shield after <laughs> climate change caught up to the seawall, baby. That crumbled into the ocean. I, I mean, like Malcolm I Butler wonder, came through. <laughs> someone, someone went behind the ship and cut the rudder chain to the seawalls. Um, and like we said earlier, but, jokingly, maybe they need Brock Stoller. Maybe they need. I don't know if they need Phil Mack. I think Phil Mack is is moving on into the coaching setup with Canada. Maybe they need Phil Mack as a coach. Um, I don't think they need Phil Mack as a player. They do need J.P. Smith back. Um, J.P. Smith, I'm not sure if he'll be back this week, but he, he should be back was, next week. It was it was Philly Mack and Cheese who was the, the player coach that one year, right, in year one? Uh, in the first year, yeah. Um, yeah. It's so – but if I go based on the sample size of last week and just the and recency bias, um, I'm not picking Seattle until they they make they give me a reason to pick them. So I would say Gilgroni's at home. Their offense is their attack is kind of bad, so probably um, it's probably like a an eighteen ten game. Maybe go with the Gilgronies by five. I'm yeah. going to go with the, the Gilgronies uh, by six, and I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say that Seattle will only score on conversion kicks, that they, they will be kept penalty out of the angle. Yeah, penalty, yeah, penalty kicks, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I'm going to uh, – I don't know if I agree with that part, but I, I agree with the, the pick. I'm, I'm going to take the creamsicle wall – over the seawall of Probably yesterday. Um, I'm going to say uh, 
I do think though it's low scoring because yeah, neither team here really has a. So I'm gonna say uh, you guys took four and five. Man, that was right in my range, right? I'll, I'll go. I, I said six. I said six. Oh, you said six. Okay, so we have five and six. Five. I'll go four. Yeah. Austin. All right. Four. All right. All right. I, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, or Austin can find their legs with their attack and um, do what Toronto did to Seattle. Just week. give and, give the ball to my boy Rod Waters, baby, and he, he it, will lead like, you to the promised land. So so Connor Mooneyham was selected first overall by the Dallas Jackals, right? Mm-hmm. Dallas Jackals say, you know what, pandemic. Uh, we don't have our house in order. We need some more time. Um, they are. They still have a staff that they're paying. So I think, based on that, they're 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 going to be back. They're gonna they're gonna play. Um, but not only does Mooney like is Mooneyham not to, not to jinx him is he is he playing? You know he's going to be rookie of the year. I think this will be the first year we have a rookie of the year um, sort of award. But I mean, he's playing himself into like back of the year type, you know, form. Like he is. Mm-hmm. How how well, good was how 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 great for the Gilgronies to pick him up in the supplemental? So like, so I, I remember I, I remember right after the draft, um, doing or right sorry, right, I remember right before the draft, I was doing some research on some of the prospects, and I came came to Mooney Ham's name and saw that he played for the Woodlands uh, RFC in high school. So uh, I hit up Kieran Farmer. I'm just like, you know, like, what do you think about this kid? And, you know, first thing like Kieran says is, you know, like high character, just hard, hard worker. Um, so I, I believe the kid has come into MLR with the right mindset, you know, that he, he understands how high his ceiling can be. He understands the opportunity, you know, a- ahead of him in terms of the league being so young. So, yeah, not to jinx him, but I think Mooneyham is going to emerge as a really big name, not just in MLR, but on the USA rugby stage. Um, I'm going to say five years to, 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 uh, to Eagle status, maybe less. Well, I, I think it's a lot closer than five years, um, but uh, I think he gets the call. I don't know if he gets capped this year, but I think he's playing himself into contention for a wing spot. He's got the skills that the Eagles desperately need, a, a a, distrib- a distributor, a kicker, um, a dynamic runner, a guy that can be physical uh, in the breakdown if necessary. Um, you know, it's just dudes play. Dudes, one of five guys that have played every single minute in the first five weeks. So, yeah, maybe the first MLR created eagle. Like, who, who is there? Any other capped eagle that became? Uh, you know, known through MLR before uh, international. Uh, Capelli is 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 Mika an Eagle yet? Jamison, um, Mika got into the squad, but I don't um, think he got a senior cap. Honestly, the Jamison was I, like I knew who Jamison was from the Eagles before I knew who he was in MLR, even though he was on an MLR team. Did he play? Like, I don't remember him as being a factor. Yeah, in MLR. she was the number eight for the Honko? Sabercats. No, Honko was only for like two games, though, right? He didn't. He didn't play much, as I recall, before he got his first call up. Yeah, it, uh, no, no. Jameson's first call up was first call was twenty nineteen PNC after after the full season. So yeah, but I don't think he played much that season. I'm saying I um, think he started like two or three games. Uh, he, he definitely. Yeah, Gellin like, and I think Gellin did. Pangelinen yeah, was, was capped I know like, like did, 22. Um, 
Was he really? Yeah, I, I thought I, th- I thought he just played VR. VR Zach's, a, Zach's like an old man at this at this point. Um, well, I, I know I know he's like thirty two years old. But I just didn't think he got an eagle cap until after year one of MLR. Oh, he hasn't been capped. He hasn't been capped during MLR at all. Like he hasn't like received a cap since, which is crazy when you think about it because he's so oh. dynamic. He hasn't been called into a squad during MLR. Um, so I mean. This is going to bug me. Um, I need to find this. We'll do research for next week and we'll come back on how many start, how many, you know, Houston Sabercats starts Von Honor Schultz had before uh, an Eagle call up. I'm literally messaging Zach right now because I'm, I'm like 90% sure he has. Yeah, Aaron, get the research team working on it. <laughs> we all need right, interns. So, does, does anybody right, want to be our intern? I found. The 2019 analytics report. Let's look up Jamison. Let me see. Where is? Well, should we, why don't we move to questions while you uh, while you look this up? Uh, where can I get? Um. Okay, he played. Found it. He played eight games in uh, 2019. Does this so, he started? Uh, does not say game started, but over eight games, he played 543 minutes. Um, he had ball carries 72, um, three tries, um, two line breaks. Where, how many tackles did he have? In a bunch, but, um, moving, but yeah, eight games is plenty to, is if we didn't play those eight games, would you have known about him? Probably not. Um, at all, he probably wouldn't have been an eagle. Um, but um, moving on to questions from P Wagon sixty uh, on the Twitter, who would be the most ideal crossover athlete in your opinions? Like broadly, like what type broadly. of athlete? Just as broadly, um, I would love to see LeBron at lock. Nah, well, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, physical yeah. tools. I, I like, I actually, people want some crazy answer. I feel like when they ask this question, like, I'm going to call him be like a polo player. But I think, uh, honestly, I think NFL defensive players are the way to go. So I, I think, uh, I feel like NFL offensive players don't necessarily have the tackling interest or instinct, um, which obviously Whoa. is critical. I- I- indignant Juju Smith-Schuster noises. Excuse me, sir. Uh, Juju I mean, if was Juju one the, was Smith, one of the best fullbacks in college. Juju Smith is not um, a crossover, but he was like literally one of the best rugby players in the country when he was in high school. And I'm just like, I would love Juju Smith to just come back to the game, which is, I think this comes up because P-Wagon is – a New England fan, and they just announced a not a crossover. I guess he was a crossover into football, but a kid that I mean, he's a kid to me because he's like twenty seven, um, and I'm and I'm not. And then he's a kid to Craig, still older than me, dude. At least a decade behind him. But um, Nagalu, I, I'm not. I'm, just, I'm not even gonna say it. Just go look at the Twitter um, because I'll butcher that name um, based on memory, but. Guy was an offensive guard at Kansas, um, was Big 12 lineman of the year, 
when he grew where he grew up in Tonga, he played rugby. I think, you know, if you can bring elite athletes and that's a guy who plays over 40, over 30 games in college as an offensive lineman is an elite athlete um, out of, out of high school. Like if you can bring, there's tons of former rugby players playing in college right now. And if MLR can attract those guys back to the sport, um, that's important. I don't think it's fair to call those people crossovers though. I I don't think he is a crossover. I think um, if we can get some wrestlers um, to play like tight head, um, like the, just do the Georgian thing and just recruit wrestlers to play tight head and hooker. Good to go. Um, Aaron, but, what, um, what, what would you think about your boy Kyler at scrum half? Kyler? Kyler yeah. Murray? No. Yeah, <laughs> Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, I mean he, like, he, he, he has the baseball. He has the shortstop, you know, second base background. Um, like, you know. For, yeah, for, like, I, I think he, he's not my boy. boy. <laughs> he's not my boy. He makes a lot of bad decisions. Arizona. You know. Um, but he, he would be an interesting prospect because I really like his, his pace. Um, he's, he's got burst. That is crazy. If he play, he can play like Nate Augsburger and just pick mm-hmm. and go and just burst through, uh, bur- burst through the game line off, uh, off a quick carry. Ball uh, security be, would be a big thing with him though. He, he would be interesting. Like, when, when was the last time Kyler Murray made a tackle? 10 years ago. I mean, that, that's just the I thing. Like, do, you, awesome. do you need your scrum half to make tackles? Just yes. Your name's Boyer? Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. You need him to make tackles. Yeah, uh, um, why is LA so good? Well, um, they spent um, – they had all their Australian players in a camp in Australia, and then they took all their players to Hawaii for five weeks where they – were self-contained in a camp environment, away from distraction. Um, they stole the heart of Tafiti, and and they got a and they got Adam Ashley Cooper, Mackie to Gito, um, Mahe Vailanu, um, and Godard, right? Isn't he leading? Harrison him? Goddard. You have a bunch of like super rugby players on this team, like you know you you know why they're good. Like obviously, I think they have great coaching. Yeah. But they have great talent too. Um, they, they just they no one uh, they play so fast. Aaron, and, I, I I feel like I should know. So, I'm sorry, I was gonna say I I know I should I should know the answer to this, but um, is there a rule in MLR like with the uh, the Irish Pro 14 with like the minimal amount of American players on a on a roster? Because I no, feel like LA it's just, has not, it's just a maximum American. amount of foreign players, and yeah. they if you every team has ten cards. And cards and foreign player slots are tradable assets. They traded for more. That's why they play more foreigners. And, however, not all of the players that um, they have that you think are foreign are foreign because per Regulation 8, which is what the league has moved to, um, if they are American qualified, um, they are considered domestic. So if they're capped for another country – um, they're no longer they no longer can be considered domestic if they are new players into the league. If they're players that have played in the league since the beginning, they are exempt from that um, cap. But yeah, they have more foreign slots. But New York has more foreign slots, and New England has more foreign slots, and Seattle had three extra foreign slots when it was just five. So I'm not really worried about it as long as like the gross representation of North American players is greater than it was the year before. 
That's all that matters to me. Because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I people thought that the quality of the league would drop, and I think that because of COVID and stuff, and I think after the last couple of rounds, the quality of the league has continued to make steps in the right direction. Um, this is a really good question, also from PWagon60. Where do you stand on the grass versus turf debate? Um, I like hybrid. Like a lot of the fields in England are hybrid surfaces, so they have what, grass. What does that have, mean? Um, like, so it's a how does that work? Grass, I guess it's the, a grass surface that has like a mesh liner on top of it, so it, it keeps the it keeps like the roots from being dug up, like in the middle of a mud game. If that makes sense. Mm. Now, if every field we could have is made out of the same the there's a there's a specific type of grass that the field at Torero is made out of because if you remember that one rain game against uh, with Seattle in season two where it was a, a torrential hurricane um, the field was good you would have thought that field would have been messed up for weeks the field was good the next week yeah. so their groundskeeper and their grass all across the league. There That's are, what I would go. There's so <laughs> I, I had a bunch of friends go to go to the University of Rhode Island, and I guess one of their big majors is like sod science, like the science of making sod. I, I guess it's a really intense, really niche sort of like industry where people like are really, really good at what they do. So I'm not surprised that there's some really good, really, really good groundskeepers out there. Um, if there's any New England collegiate athletes out there, um, I'm really partial towards grass because of some several bad experiences playing at Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce University had the worst, most carpet-ass turf you've ever stepped on. Um, it was just burns all over your body by the end of the game. So I'm, I'm really all about the nice, soft embrace of grass as you tackled by a 300-pound Fijian. So we got uh, one more question um, to get to uh, from Rick Meyer. Uh, Seattle fan, can Seattle dig themselves out of the horrible start and kill it? Can LA go <laughs> oh, no, undefeated? No, 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 no. Uh, I, mean, I don't think LA there. will go undefeated because I don't think they have the depth to go undefeated because I think they will have to rest some players. I think that they will probably win um, the title, but I think that they will drop a game. Like, I, I think they will drop a game. Um, don't know when it's going to be. I don't think it could be the final, but I don't think it'll be the final. I think it'll. I don't think they're gonna win. Put me on record. LA not winning the shield. Put it on the whiteboard. On the hey, whiteboard. Man. Everybody put it, put was so down envelope. with the, everybody was so down with the Glendale Raptors in year one. And yeah, it, yeah, they <laughs> they lost that game on their own accord. Sucks mm. to suck. That's why they're not here. Well, well here's the thing. If, if anybody win. recalls that season, though, Glendale started to drop towards the towards the end of that yeah. season. They started to kind of run out of run out of gas in a sense. So I I don't think that LA will go undefeated. And I until they show me otherwise, I don't think Seattle will be able to pull out of their slow start. I think they are in a nose down tailspin. 
Until oh. Ruck Justice, starring Rocky <laughs> the Sea Wolf, appears on CBS Prime. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ruck Justice. <laughs> Again, intellectual property rights preserved. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we need that comic to be a thing. Yeah. So much. I, I wish I could draw. But so, I can't. Um, I think that's it, guys. I think we went a little bit long, but we've also kept it much shorter than some other shows. Um, mm-hmm. We will see you same time, same place uh, next week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Strobro, uh, and uh, Craig Ridelli at Monday Morning Fly Half and Liam Patch at MM Fly Half. If you just have the audio, it doesn't actually say Monday Morning. MM. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.